It's been close uh, to two months since we moved uh, to Bellevue. And as I look back, I think about how the Lord has led us here. Uh, when Catherine and I were wrestling with what God was doing, uh, we were in a season uh, with our family of churches, praying and fasting for our church and the church across our city uh, to repent and to fall deeper in love with our Jesus. And that we would have a John 17 unity that, gosh, by our oneness, it wouldn't be based off of anything we have done or all our efforts, but our oneness would be evidence of the power of the gospel. And as we were in that wrestle, Holy Spirit led our steps to partner with a nonprofit called Apartment Life. Uh, And apartment life is where we would uh, be with a community and where we would come into a space and cultivate that community where the people would not only know uh, that they are known and seen, but that they are fully known and fully seen by a God who relentlessly loves them. And because of his love, his love is so in pursuit of them. Trusting the Lord uh, with where he was delivering us, Apartment Life told us that we would be moving uh, to the View Apartment community right off of Highway 70. And with much eager anticipation, we were stoked to hear about what the Lord had done in that space and how we could serve him there. We were expectant to see revival. However, as we began to move in, we started to hear stories of what had happened in our apartment community. We started to hear stories of fear and trauma and addiction. And I'll be honest, anxiety began to take hold of my heart right in those moments. And for the first few days of us living there, I was numb to witness and complacent in practice. I traded dependence on God for personal protection. One afternoon, I took a walk and I began to pray and I go, God, please help me. I am afraid. Be with me. And then I began to pray, not uttering any words, but walking in silence, just thinking, Lord, please heal this space. And when I got home, I remembered the Psalms I had been reading about how compassionate the Lord is and how great of a judge he is and how he judges the wicked and just how holy he is. And it was somewhere in my meditation on the character of God that Holy Spirit brought up a proverb that was spoken to me by a dear brother of mine. And he said, Jacob, it is the fear of man that stops the power of God. The Lord began to pierce my heart with that truth and with the truth of his word that he promises to heal the land. He promises to heal people where we live. And such healing does not come from the repentance of the lost, but from his people humbling themselves, them praying, them seeking his face, and them turning from their wicked ways. And it is through this that he will hear, that he will forgive, and that he will heal our land. Holy Spirit was convicting me in the warmth of his kindness to repent of my fear of man so that I would not be robbed of seeing the power of God. And it was in prayer that holiness surrounded my anxiety with the truth 
of who God is and who I am, rescued and redeemed and no longer a slave to sin and death. Prayer reveals this to me again and again when I run to him seeking refuge in my adversity. Oswald Chambers says it best when he says that prayer is the vital breath of the Christian, not the thing that makes him alive, but the evidence that he is alive. Church, we are alive because of the truth of the gospel, and it is in prayer that we live into our identity as holy people and children of God. And it is in becoming a people of prayer that are a thirst for God wanting to seek again his face and his radiant wonder of his love and holiness that we will see revival come in this church and out in our city. That is what's happening in the book of Acts. There is a holy people who pray in light of the holiness of God, so dependent on him because church, he is the only one who can save. I am grateful uh, to partner uh, with my bride, Catherine, and I love it when she reads God's word. Uh, It really warms my heart. I also love how much of encouragement the book of Acts is up to this point. Luke is writing to the lovers of God about the glory of God that is in the holy name of Jesus and through the power of Holy Spirit. After Jesus' resurrection, he tells his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the the Father's promise. I love that. I love that the text says that because they're not waiting with a blind hope like, okay, something's going to happen. No, no, no. They're waiting affirmed and assured that the Father's promise is coming. Why? Because Jesus told them so. And sometimes that's the best thing that you just need to know because Jesus told you so. That's good. That's good. Then he tells them that they will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon them. And they will be his witnesses literally everywhere. This is not a power that culture says is power. This is not a Roman Empire power. This is a holy power that glorifies God, not people. So then Jesus ascends and the first thing they do is... Literally, after they wait for the Father's promise, and after they are told they're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit's going to come on them, the first thing they do is they gather together in a room and they pray. But this is not just any kind of prayer. Acts 1, verse 14. They all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I mean, look at what is happening here in this text. They literally all got together after they were told they were going to receive the father's promise. And after they were told that they were going to receive power from Holy spirit, they got together united in prayer. They needed everybody. And it wasn't just the men because you want to know why the father's promise is not just for men. The father's promise is for all sons and daughters. So they got together, all of them, united in prayer. It's like they remember Jesus praying when he said that, hey, it's by your oneness. It's by your oneness that the the world will know that I was sent by the Father. So they were united in prayer. It wasn't just united. it It was urgent prayer. They continued to pray 
They continued to pray with urgency. And such a prayer life was not special. It was expected. Jesus expected them to pray. So they did. Continually. Then the day of Pentecost arrives and all those who gathered in unity were filled by Holy Spirit and they began to speak different tongues, tongues like flames of fire. This is where we get a little bit scared, right? Speaking tongues like flames of fire. But church, listen, it was not for their glory or gain, but so that they could declare the magnificent acts of God to the peoples who were in the city. It wasn't even about them. And what I love about this simple truth is what is presented. It is not by our will that we share the word of God, but it is because of the spirit of God in us that the word of God spews out of our mouths. It is the Holy Spirit in us that speaks the gospel through us. It is because of this that people were saved and many heard the gospel of forgiveness that only comes in the name of Jesus, only comes in the name of Jesus. And from this, it says that they devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. There wasn't a, yeah, I'm going to devote myself to one Sunday in the week. I'm not just going to devote myself one hour out of the 168. Because they wanted to see God move, they devoted themselves. And it was devotion because they were so in love with Jesus. So in love with Jesus. And it was from this devotion to prayer that Peter and John saw a man crippled at a gate called Beautiful. And by the holy name of Jesus, he got up and walked. It was devotion to prayer that led them to have eyes the way that God sees people. And the way that God sees people is with the same eyes of the father and the parable of the prodigal sons in constant pursuit of his lost kids. In constant pursuit of his lost kids. And it is because of the healing and preaching in the name of Jesus that both Peter and John are arrested. But although they were ordinary people, the Jewish leaders were literally amazed because they could tell that they had been with Jesus because of the boldness of their speech. I mean, church, I want to be that type of people. Literally, I want to be that type of people that if someone who's never been in this sanctuary before, that as soon as they walk through these doors, they would be, shoot, People have been praying. People have been praying. They have been gathering close to Jesus. I want to be that type of people. So much so that we are so bathed in prayer that our aroma is of the fresh smell of gospel hope and gospel joy. After being threatened to not speak in the name of Jesus, Peter and John are then released. And it is here that they come back to the fellowship in unity and they all raise their voices together to God and pray. And this is where uh, we find ourselves in the text where uh, the text that Kat read to us. And if you look, if you look in your Bibles, the prayer that is spoken in Acts 4 verse 24 begins with one word. Master. Don't glaze past this word. The God we pray to is master. He is the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Oftentimes we forget who we're praying to. Our attitude of prayer is like having a conversation with the best type of person 
that we can think of and then hype that up to the highest degree and then call that person God. Church, no. God is so holy that we cannot even make sense of him except tremble in awe of his presence. Take Isaiah, for example. Once even looking upon the throne of God, he was undone, saying, woe is me, woe is me. I joked with my my friend uh, Jeremiah this morning that his exegesis of that text is saying, oh, expletive, I'm about to die. (laughs) Why? Because they were so in the holiness of God. The God in which they cried to is master and is the same God spoken in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that no, that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteousness, people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. This is, this is the God who they were praying to. They were praying to a blazing fire, a storm, a gloom. He was so holy. He is so holy that they trembled in awe of him in prayer. Do we approach the Lord in prayer in such a way? That before we even speak, come to comprehension again who we are talking with? This God is worthy of awe and one in whom all creation trembles. All creation. And then afterwards, as they continue to pray, they begin to pray scripture. Verse 25. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. They pray scripture because to pray scripture is to pray truth. To pray scripture is to rescue us from any self-absorption so that our focus can actually be on the Lord. Praying scripture reminds us that our prayer is response. To the God who has already been speaking to us. He does so through his word. Eugene Peterson says about this. That our culture presents us with forms of prayer that are mostly self-expression. Pouring ourselves out before God or lifting our gratitude to God as we feel the need and have the occasion. Such prayer is dominated by a sense of self. But prayer... Mature prayer is dominated by a sense of God. Prayer rescues us from a preoccupation with ourselves and pulls us into adoration of and pilgrimage to God. That's what happens when you pray scripture. 
Praying scripture is what helps us to pray in light of the holiness of God rather than praying with a spotlight on ourselves. God already knows our needs, church. He is full of compassion. He already loves you. He sees you right where you are in the season, right where you're in. That is why I love that the psalm prayed it is Psalm 2 and how it also says in verse 8 of that psalm, ask the Lord. Literally ask. A complete reflection of how Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. I think about the testimony of George Mueller and how his prayers were centered on Christ, displayed through scripture, and how he said, the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. Church, it's the depth of our prayers that is impacted by scripture because it is the word of God that guides us to pray in the will of God. So church, as after they, they pray scripture, they begin to pray knowing that because Jesus was predestined to suffer, they pray in light knowing that they are going to suffer. They weren't surprised by that. So they pray. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it was after they prayed, the place was literally shaken. It was shaken. (laughs) And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. You see, that word boldness means great confidence, great courage. They asked the Lord that they would speak his word with great confidence and great courage To the same people who literally murdered their Lord. And the same people who was persecuting them now. But instead of finding a way to get away from them, instead they get together, continually united in prayer. Says, Lord, give us, give us boldness. Give us great confidence. Give us great courage. Why? Because church, they knew that salvation is in no other name but the name of Jesus. They knew That no one could be saved but by Jesus. And because they enjoyed glorifying God, they hungered for those who had not been saved to be saved. They wanted to see people come to know our Jesus. They asked for great confidence and great courage from the same God who told Joshua, who was leading the Israelites into the promised land, which, by the way, Joshua meaning God, the Lord saves. They pray to the same God who says to Joshua, be strong and courageous for you will take the land. I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Haven't I commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord. Your God is with you wherever you go. The God that is with them wherever they go is a blazing fire. He's a storm. He's a tempest. He's so holy. And as the Lord told Joshua to go and take the land with great courage and great confidence, they are told and are affirmed that that land is already theirs. So we, the children of God, here in Bellevue, in Nashville, Tennessee, 
We can go and claim this city in Jesus' name, knowing that it is already the Lord's. It is by being in the presence of God in prayer that we receive boldness to go forth with the gospel. And church, the holy fire spreads. The holy fire spreads. Such divine momentum rises from the presence of being with the divine master. I love how verse 31 shows that as they finished praying, the building was shaken. Literally, prayer shook the building. The holiness of prayer. The same holiness that sets bushes on fire without burning it. The same holiness that splits a sea in two. It shakes the foundations of the world. But what was not shaken was the people of prayer because people of prayer in Jesus' name are holy people. As Hebrews 12 says, as it comes to a close, church, this is good. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression yet once more indicates the removal of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful by it. We may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We pray to a God whose kingdom cannot be shaken. And we are filled up with the power of that kingdom. Prayer is shaped and sharpened when we come to him in reverence and awe. And because he is a consuming fire, he renews our minds to pray in light of his holiness and his glory. The building was literally shaking by the prayers of holy people. Prayer does that. It shakes the foundations and strongholds of things that we thought could not be moved. I wonder if that's the power we were meant to receive. Not hypothetical power, church. Holy power. The funny thing is, we have received it in Jesus' name, but we just don't use it. Ian Bounds says, Few Christians have anything but a vague idea of the power of prayer. Fewer still have any experience of that power. The church seems almost wholly unaware of that power God puts into our hand. This spiritual carte blanche on the infinite resources of God's wisdom and power is rarely, if ever, used. Never used to the full measure of honoring God. It is astounding how little we use it. And how little we reap its benefits. Prayer is our most formidable weapon, but the one in which we are the least skilled and the most averse to using. That's hard. But church, I want to let you know that when we come to prayer, we come to a heavenly father. Yes, who is so holy, so holy. He is so full of love. It's just coming to your dad. It's coming to your dad where you are wrapped around his presence and the warmness of his kindness. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. 
Paul writes that when in spiritual warfare, that we ought to pray without ceasing, that we ought to pray continually. Why? Because he knows that even in adversity, because we shouldn't be surprised that we will go through adversity as the body of Christ. He knows that there is power in prayer. Paul writes in the closing of Ephesians chapter six, he says this, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness, the mystery of the gospel for this. I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might also be bold enough to speak about it as I should. He knew that there was persecution that was going to come to those who believed in Jesus. But he also knew the one who had already overcome the world. And his name has much power. So he too prayed for boldness. To the God who was and is the master of the universe. Revival starts when we pray together in this way. It is in unified prayer that we become unified in evangelism. It's in unified prayer that when we come together and recognize how sweet he is and set gaze on the beauty of him, that we can't help but tell people because we enjoy glorifying God. We can't help it. Prayer is not a special calling for a certain saint. Hear that. Prayer is not a certain, is not a special calling for a certain saint. It is rather in the character of the one who was found by Christ that they will call on their Lord. Just because I'm preaching doesn't mean I'm the only one who can pray. Because you are adopted sons and daughters. You have the ability and the authority and the assurance to cry, Abba, Father. And that's when revival starts. When his children cry, Abba. So now we are going to pray. In prayer and in presence, all of us are undone. But the Lord makes us new in it. None of us graduate past the gospel. So as I ask the worship team uh, to come back up here, the Lord is, cares so much more about new creations than new years. He is doing new things. That's his promise. That's what he's always done. He's making things new. And we come together in prayer. We know that we're all unworthy because he is a holy God. We can come together knowing that whatever has happened, he already loves us. And he is so holy that he doesn't keep us there. He makes us new. So for the next 120 seconds, we're just going to pray. Because there's power in prayer. Wherever you are, if you want to use this altar, use it. If you want to use your chairs, use it. But let's just come to the Father together and cry, Abba.